Good morning, everybody. Let's get stuck into this passage. We're reading from Revelation 3, um, verse 14 through to 21. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you, un- but you do not realise that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame overcame, and sat down with my father on his throne. Well, morning again. And as I said, uh, my name's Coops. Um, so we're looking at uh, Revelation 3. Let's pray as we begin. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for having us uh, together here this morning and to hear from you. And Father, we ask that you would give us ears to hear this morning and that you would give us the will to live your way. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I wonder if you could cast your minds back just a couple of years, back to about 2018. Um, I'm sure you would all remember there was the uh, Royal Commission into the financial services sector. And you remember this was a massive uh, piece of research that was done, a massive investigation. And the results uh, that came out of that uncovered just huge amounts of deception, didn't it? There was really deception right across that industry. Lots of people being deceived in the way that they were charged for services that they never received. It uncovered uh, people being deceived. They'd been sold services that they didn't actually need. And there was even one account, if you remember, there was a guy that had been dead for 10 years and he'd been paying for services uh, for all of that time. It's like the ultimate deception, isn't it? I don't know what they sold him, but I don't think he was using it. And so when the report was made public, there was sort of outrage, really, wasn't there, if you remember that? There was a real... People were really disturbed. I know I was very disturbed. You know, because it was this, there was this deception. No one likes to be deceived. Because deception sort of offends us somewhere really deep down, doesn't it? It really disturbs when we're deceived or when someone is trying to deceive us. And in the passage that Trudy just read, there is... There is some real deception uh, described in that passage, deception um, in the church of Laodicea. And as we take a look at the passage, what I hope is that the deception, that we feel that deception uh, in the passage this morning far more deeply than we felt what came out of that Royal Commission, actually. This is a deception that has far more serious consequences. These are eternal consequences that are being described in uh, this part of Revelation. It's a message that's been written, um, as, we, as I said, to the church in Laodicea. Now, Laodicea was a church, uh, was a city, rather, that was very wealthy. 
It was very prosperous. It's uh, very similar to Adelaide, actually, in that way. It was a banking centre. It had manufacturing. It had a medical school. So again, lots of similarities to the city that we all live in. And the sense from the passage is, you know, there is this wealth and this prosperity there, and it's deceived the church. And actually, it's deceived them so much that they are becoming less and less like Jesus. And in fact, the deception's so complete that they don't even know it. They don't see it. And they're in very real danger of being rejected by Christ. Now, that's something to be very concerned about, very disturbed. Now, that guy that was charged for financial services for 10 years after he died, like he wouldn't have been that worried about it, would he, those charges? But the Laodiceans, they have the prospect of an eternity to think about. Yeah, so they, they need to take this word from Jesus very, very seriously. And so the question that I want to ask all of us today is this. How similar to the Laodiceans are we here in 21st century Adelaide? The wealth that we've got, the, the prosperity that surrounds us, does it blind us in some way to our real need for Jesus? And I don't think that's a binary answer, by the way. I don't think that's like a yes, no. So before we sort of go, no, no, that's not me. I know I need Jesus. Has it changed our relationship with Jesus? I think that's the question. Are we lukewarm? Because my fear is that it is possible to drift along. It's possible to become lukewarm to Jesus because of wealth and because of comfort. Right? And that is a deception. That's a deadly deception. And so this year, uh, this year, well, yes, it is this year, isn't it? But it's also this morning. This morning, we'll hear Jesus' warning in that regard. And we're also going to hear about this wonderful promise that he makes when we listen and when we turn to him in repentance. So firstly, we know these are the words from Jesus himself because in verse 14, it says, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. Jesus redeemed God's creation. He was the only completely faithful and true witness to God. And so we know these are his words, words from Jesus. And he goes on to say in verse 15, I know your deeds, he says this to the church, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. And so the question is, well, what are the, what are the works or these deeds that he's talking about? And if you look through the other letters to the churches in the book of Revelation, they the address, the beginning of the letter, begins by saying something about Jesus. Now, in this case, he's the faithful and true witness. And then it goes on to talk about the thing, which is the problem in the church that Jesus is addressing. So in this case, these deeds or these works of the Laodicean church, they're the problem. And the problem is their witness to Jesus. It's not cold and it's not hot. So likely, cold refers to purity. You know, if you think of, remember those, um, I can't remember the name of them actually, but you know, like Franklin Mountain Spring Water, you see those adverts and someone's really hot, and they chug down the bottle of water and they look suddenly or magically refreshed. I've tried that. It doesn't, I, don't, I don't think I come out looking that refreshed, but that sort of sense of life-giving purity, that's the sense when uh, the letter talks about cold. 
and hot, probably a medicinal or like a healing type quality. So if you think of like a thermal bath, like if you've been to Matarag Mataranka Hot Springs up in the Northern Territory up there, yep, a few nods. I was there a long time ago. Really nice, very therapeutic. Um, that's the sort of sense we get from the use of hot in this letter. And so Jesus says here in verse 16, Because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Right? They are lukewarm. Now I have permission from my wife to use this illustration, like a cup of tea, right? Now Bron loves a cup of tea. It doesn't matter what time of the day it is. If I say, Bron, do you want a cup of tea? Which I probably don't say often enough. She'll drink a cup of tea. It doesn't matter what the time of the day is or night. But it's got to be a hot cup of tea or maybe an iced tea. But it can't be lukewarm. Don't, don't put in too much milk, right? Because then it's just disgusting and you want to spit it out. Well, here, the church is lukewarm. What it means is their witness to Jesus doesn't result in spiritual healing. And it doesn't result in life to all of the unbelievers that are living around them. All the people who you know, don't, don't go to church, who, don't, uh, who don't, uh, haven't placed their faith in Jesus, doesn't offer life to them. And so Jesus is about to reject them. And he explains why there in verse 17. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you do not realise... Or perhaps in there we could say, you know, you don't know. You do not realise that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. So I wonder if you see the contrast here. In verse 15, Jesus says, I know what your problem is, but they don't know it themselves. Right? So that is deadly. They don't know it, but they are wretched, pitiful poor, blind and naked and they are at risk of being rejected by Jesus. So, you know, imagine if you, if you had a disease that was going to take your life and you were being deceived into thinking that was, you were, you were actually okay, you were healthy. You would want the deception to stop, wouldn't you? Of course, we would, all of us would. So you could be treated and it could be dealt with. But something's happening here in Laodicea that's deceiving them about their true spiritual condition. And historically, we know a few things, some facts about what was happening in the region there. So about AD 60, some serious earthquake activity in the area and a bunch of cities get really badly damaged. This is just it's a historical fact. Philadelphia and Sardis, they're cities that are not too far away. Uh, they were badly damaged and they took money from the Roman Empire to help rebuild. But Laodicea, badly damaged, but they took no money from the Romans. They financed their own repairs. They were very wealthy. And that's what verse 17 says. I am rich. I've acquired wealth. I do not need a thing. They don't think they need anything else. Not even Jesus. So it's, there's irony really here. It's ironic, isn't it? Wealth and comfort, but it weakens their faith. So actually, they're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked, and they don't know. But of course, Jesus does, and he diagnoses it by seeing what should come from their faith. 
a faithful witness to Jesus. For the Laodiceans, it's only lukewarm. It's kind of half-hearted. Like a person with that serious illness who's being saved and realises what's being done for them. If you think about that, serious illness like that, you'd think about that every day. You would be thankful every day for the treatment from all of the medical professionals. You would tell everybody about it. But once things improve, life gets good, back on track, you get comfortable, maybe you think about it less. I think that's natural. The need isn't so obvious anymore. Maybe you don't talk about it as often. And so it just sort of fades into the background of your life. I think with an illness and a doctor, perhaps that's okay, but a saving faith in Jesus... See, that, that can't fade into the background of life. Like We always need what he offers. It doesn't matter how materially comfortable we are. It just doesn't matter. I uh, had a bit of a look at the uh, world's most livable cities. And a few years ago, Adelaide ranked as number five. Now, we might feel like sometimes we're not, but if we live here, like in reality, we are doing pretty well globally. And so the question I asked at the beginning was, has that comfort and that prosperity affected our relationship with Jesus? It did the Laodiceans. And Jesus described them as wretched, pitiable, poor, blind and naked. He diagnosed that spiritual condition by their works, not that it's what you do that makes you right with Jesus. That's not the case. No, it's that a saving faith in Jesus leads us to a faithful and true witness. It's worth reflecting, you know, what does our witness to Jesus look like? What does it look like? You know, our friends and our family and our work colleagues who don't go to church, do they recognize something different about us? Do they see that we live differently? Do they see that we make different choices that they may make? Is that us? Or do our lives look so closely to theirs that actually no one could probably tell? That's actually a more comfortable way to live. Or do we witness to Jesus by sharing the gospel? Lots of different ways that we can do that. No, you don't need to be a master evangelist. Your own story, why you love Jesus, why you go to church, getting involved in the big question series. Lots of different ways of sharing the gospel or sharing your love for Jesus. And I'm very happy to talk to anybody uh, who uh, would like to chat about way, different ways of doing that. And yes, it can feel hard. It always feels hard, actually. And in our current climate, it's becoming more difficult, more risky. I've heard stories of people in workplaces uh, losing their employment, um, certainly uh, being put under pressure because of their biblical views in certain things. So it is difficult. But if we feel the need for Jesus, if we feel true thankfulness for what he's done and really realise the temporary nature of what we have here, we will want to witness and tell people about Jesus. You know, like a faith that prompts to tell people about the one who saves. And that might make us feel a little bit uncomfortable, me included, and, and I, it should. And if it did, let's listen 
to what Jesus says should be done about it. He's diagnosed the problem in the Laodicean church. And the words of Jesus here advise them that they are to turn to him in faith. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Now this is really specific, this information to the Laodiceans because they were known for making eye salve and they had this really fine black wool for making clothes. And they were the things that had made them very wealthy. But if you remember back in uh, verse 17, they make eye salve, but they're blind. They've got this fine black wool, but they're naked. They have money from these things, but they're poor. See, they've missed where the real value is. And so Jesus urges them to turn back and see the truth. That's where real riches and comfort is. Trust in Jesus' death and resurrection, that sins are forgiven and that eternal life is given. That forgiveness is the white clothes that cover the shame of sin. And that expression there about gold is really strange, isn't it? Buy gold to be rich. Like if I you know, buy $1,000 worth of gold, it's still worth $1,000. So how do I get more rich by doing that? Well, gold refined through fire signifies purity. And that's what Jesus gives through faith. Purity from sin in the sight of God. But you can't put a price on that, can you? That is invaluable. That is real riches. And we can be truly rich. And actually more, we can spread that wealth around by witnessing from our faith. That witness is where real riches lie. In seeing people saved. Now, Matthew 6, verse 19 says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. And I think it's helpful to think about it like this Um, Have you ever moved house and had removalists come in? It's really timely, actually, because we are moving. Um, This time, not with removalists, but with heaps of help from, from here. So, thank you so much for that. Um, so we're, you know, we've been thinking about this move and what comes with us, you know, like the kids, they need to come with us. What else don't we need? What can we get rid of? Well, the times that we've done this with a removalist, um, do, I don't know those of you that have done this, do you know where they give you those little stickers that you run around the house and you stick on all the stuff that you want to take with you and the stuff you're not taking, you know, you don't put a sticker on so that it stays? Imagine that you know your time's coming, right? You're about to die. You're about to go to heaven and God sends his removalists to your house. And he gives you these stickers. What would you put the stickers on? Like, what's actually important? You know, if I was moving to heaven, I don't think I'd put those little stickers on very much. I wouldn't put it on my car much as I'd love to take my four-wheel drive. I wouldn't stick it on that. I wouldn't stick it on any of my possessions. I wouldn't put it on my ATM card. I don't even know how to access my bank account electronically, so I wouldn't bother with that. I wouldn't put it on any of my banking details because none of those are real riches. 
Real riches lie in heaven. And as hard as it can be now, and I, I know it can be to witness in this way and in our environment, but employment and reputations and all of those earthly things, they won't be with us up there. Now, what will be in heaven is saved people. And that's what we're hearing this morning from this passage. Repent and turn back to Jesus. See things clearly. Turn back to strengthen faith in him because it's faith that saves. And it's that faith that will lead us to witness about Christ, to lead others to him and to their salvation. They're the things that are true riches. They are true riches to be saved and to be witnessing for Jesus about it and seeing them saved through it. Now finally, in this passage here, there's something that Jesus says he does. Here in verse 19. Jesus loves. And those he loves, he disciplines. It's like me uh, growing up in Western Australia. You know, if I was naughty, and I was, at times, don't want you to think that was a trait or anything, but if I was naughty, I was disciplined. And I was. And um, why was I disciplined? It's because my parents loved me. I'm pretty sure they still do. But it, they disciplined me then because of love. And Jesus is like that. See, so here in Revelation 3, he shows he loves the Laodiceans, even though they're ineffective witnesses. Still loves them. And these words, these are his discipline to them. That is love, isn't it? Like It's not judgment yet. This is love. Judgment's coming. If he didn't love, he wouldn't bother to warn them first. But he does. And actually, it's his discipline to us. So I don't know how you're feeling. You might be listening to this and thinking, you know, this is tough. Jesus is just like flogging me here. But actually, this is Jesus' love. It's a call to renew faith rather than brand new faith. This is a call to us because he disciplines who he loves. And so we need to hear this invitation here in verse 19 to be earnest and repent. You know earnest, not the man, but the word, to be intensely serious about something. Be serious about Jesus. It's for us all to repent in the aspects of life where we're not. Because there in verse 20, he says, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Like he is knocking on our door. So imagine you owe money on your car and a man comes to repossess it. He knocks on your door and you hear him and he says, Listen, if you let me in, we'll let you keep your car. If you don't, we'll take it away. That would never happen. But if it did, you would let him in, wouldn't you? Like keeping your car in that circumstance, that's a gift. Jesus offers the gift of life. But we can be deceived in just letting him fade into the background and just let that door slowly close. But Jesus loves us so much that he remains standing there knocking. And we need only to turn back
and let him in. And he says here in verse 21, To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. So he's not asking us to do anything more than he's already done. He was the faithful and true witness. He conquered temptation. He resisted society and remained true to his father. And he's asking us to do exactly the same thing, to take our faith seriously, witness to him in all of the different aspects of our life. If you imagine being there in heaven, we won't be saying to each other, you know, I just wished I had compromised more in my life to my witness to Jesus in the gospel. When we're there, we won't be saying that. And this is the most extraordinary news to the one who conquers, to the one who remains faithful, who trusts Jesus. He offers life together with him. To be with him as he sits on his throne over everything that God created. Can you imagine a more amazing thing than that? Let's pray in thankfulness for what God offers. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your love and for your discipline to continually bring us back to you. Father, we are sorry for the times that our witness to you has been lukewarm. And Father, we pray that you might help us to be a faithful and true witness to Jesus. Please help us to not be blinded by the world or by money or by comfort. But Father, we might see truly what you've done for us and that we do need Jesus and that you would help us to show that to others and to speak of it often. Father, help us to model our lives on Jesus and for our behaviours to represent you and to bring you glory. And Father, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.